0: Morning. Uh, thank you. Thank you once again for having us this weekend. Uh, thank you, Paul, for your friendship, uh, for your support, for your, for your encouragement. Allow me to read uh, from God's Word. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And I've given the title to the sermon, The Holy Spirit is a Missionary Spirit. And maybe to give you a heads up uh, where I'm going, As I go through the text, um, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Uh, There is no mission without the Holy Spirit. Uh, There is no assurance of salvation without the Holy Spirit. There is no sending. There is no going. Uh, There is no mission without him. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. So let me read from Acts chapter 1. or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. Some of you might know the imaginary story about Jesus uh, on his return uh, to heaven. Uh, Emphasis again, imaginary story. Uh, After he had been through the agony of the cross, after Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, uh, the imaginary story says Jesus was relaxing uh, with a few angel friends, and one of them asked this question. Uh, he said, Lord, we, we followed your exploits down there. We watched everything that you did, your every move, and we watched closely. But, but there's just one question that intrigues us. You, you've been through so much. You, you won salvation for those humans but there's only a handful of believers, just a handful of them. What plans have you left in place now that you have gone? Well, says Jesus, I, I left it all up to them. They, they know the truth and they will pass it on to anyone and everyone. Then there was silence and then another angel asked, I don't know how to put this, Lord. But, you know, these humans, they haven't proved themselves reliable, have they? They they abandoned you in Gethsemane. Well, dear old Peter, three times he denied you. Judas, who was always by your side, he betrayed you. Come on, what other plans do you have? Well, Jesus looked at the angel and he said, there are no other plants. There are no other plants. And if you read Acts chapter one, uh, I think there's a clearer idea of what Jesus would have said. The imaginary story leaves out one essential piece of the puzzle Jesus would have insisted on. Uh, the, the, The story forgets the vital encouragement that Jesus promised. And we read this in John 14, uh, verse 15 to 19. The the vital encouragement, you can sum it up as the the must-have spirit. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, here is something without which, here is someone without whom you cannot get started. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will, not, you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I leave you also will leave. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. And then look at how Luke begins in verse 1. In my first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands. How? Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Jesus, the man of the Spirit, is living, but the teaching Spirit, the, the Spirit of truth, will continue his ministry. We already know that the spirit does not have a different agenda from Jesus. So Jesus' absence won't change the mission. It won't change the agenda. But of all the teaching Jesus gave during his 40-day period when he was with the disciples, Luke highlights just one piece, and it's there in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you had you heard from me, for John baptized in water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus said. And remember, he's talking to his apostles. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift. And the gift of verse four turns out in verse five to be the Holy Spirit. And Jesus speaks as though everything that will follow depends on this Holy Spirit. The apostolic ministry and mission cannot really begin without this Holy Spirit. And he is the must have spirit. Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere, don't get started, wait for the gift. And that little phrase, baptism in the Holy Spirit, has obviously led to so much dispute in his time. But let me say this for today. They, the apostles, stand in a unique period in history. They had to to wait for the gift to be given. They had to wait. We don't. We don't have to wait. It is just a matter of history. They, they had to, to look forward to Pentecost. They had to look forward to the Spirit being poured out. Well, we actually look back, which is why we celebrate Pentecost today. Their baptism in the Spirit had to be separated from the beginning to trusting and to following Jesus. And perhaps we need to be careful that we don't turn a a unique command to the apostles into a general pattern for us. And when we read uh, Acts, like I said yesterday, we want to identify that which is normative and that which is not. Well, the Holy Spirit is not restricted to the apostles. Because if it were, that would be a denial of Pentecost. By the time you get to Acts 11, the spirit is given to a foreign Gentile called Cornelius. Not one of the apostles, a Gentile. They must have spirit. The Holy Spirit is for every believer. Actually, if you read that story, you know that far from being a second or subsequent experience to his conversion, The Spirit is given to Cornelius even before the evangelist Peter has issued his gospel appeal. I I honestly don't know what Peter made of it, right? As you read the text, he's still explaining the Christian gospel, wanting to help Cornelius understand, perhaps raise his hand first, he's still explaining it. When the Holy Spirit falls on the newly believing Cornelius. And we all know that Peter was in a grumpy mood throughout the whole incident, but even he couldn't miss what had just happened. So when he gets around to explaining to others what had happened, he says this He says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, Cornelius and his household. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You notice that as Acts unfolds, and all this is well into the future, and that's the reason why the disciples, the apostles, had to anticipate Pentecost. All this is into the future. And that's why there is a sense of anticipation on their part. They're looking forward to what Jesus was saying. Don't leave Jerusalem until you have received the gift. It's as if Jesus pictures the apostles at the starting line, right at the beginning of the race. And Jesus is reminding them, don't start running until the gun goes. Don't start running. Jesus is looking ahead to the life and ministry of the apostles. He's looking ahead when he's gone, and he insists on them having the must-have spirit. Why? So that they can continue to be part of what he began to teach and to do, like Luke says. But if you look further in this passage, the must-have spirit is actually the missionary spirit. That is what verse 6 to 8 tells us. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The great John Calvin says, there's many errors in this this question as there are words. Uh, And he says, well, they speak of restore as if they expect a political or territorial kingdom. They speak of Israel as if They're only thinking of a national kingdom. They speak of, at this time, as if it's some immediate establishment. But there's something in the question that we should not miss. Behind the question is the idea that there must be more to the kingdom than they have experienced so far. There must be more. Well, the temple has been restored. You can tick that box. The Davidic line of kings has been reestablished. You can tick that box. The Messiah has come. Yes, his resurrection and ascension means the kingdom is here. You can tick that box. But there is more to this than this. There is more. When will evil be rooted out? When will God's enemies be exposed and defeated? When will the kingdom really come? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is that when it's going to happen? You notice there's no rebuke from Jesus. He doesn't say to them how foolish you are or how slow of heart to believe. In fact, everything that Jesus says acknowledges that, yes, there is more. There is more to come. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them in verse 7, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, the clock is ticking. That's all we know. God is at work. But he goes on in verse 8. He is still answering the question in verse 8. Here's what they can know. You, you cannot know the times, the seasons, but here's what you can know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And remember in verse 6, they had asked about Israel. And Jesus answered by telling them that they will be God's witnesses. If you know your Old Testament, that is the, the mark, the identity mark of Israel. Look at Isaiah 43, and God speaking to his people, and he seems to be envisioning some enormous worldwide gathering. And so in verse 9, all the nations are gathering together, and then he speaks to his people in verse 10, and he says this. And remember, this is in the Old Testament. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no savior. I declared and served and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God, and if you hold that in your mind as you go back to Acts 1, and let the impact of what Jesus is saying hit you afresh. He says to his apostles, you are my witnesses. The fulfilled Israel with the same mission task, you'll be my witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, But in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Remember what God has said to his people in Isaiah 49, verse 6 and 7. He said there, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Most people struggle to see grace in the Old Testament. Well, here it is. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, for the nations, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Can you see the logic here? Don't leave Jerusalem. You must get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples respond, Oh Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Well, Jesus says, Never mind the timing. Never mind the timing. But you're right, there is more to come. And what is the more? Well, the Gentiles, the nations need to be brought in. In other words, this is an international kingdom. And between now and then, between the already and the not yet, there is mission. Bringing in the internationals and the Gentiles, people from all walks of life. Mission is the hallmark of the in-between time as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. It is the hallmark to the already and the not yet. If you keep asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? Well, mission. Mission is the answer. And the key to mission is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 8. You will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In other words, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowers for mission. He is the missionary Spirit. When the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, what is the result? What happens? Well, speech. Actually witnessing to Jesus kind of speech. And it's the hallmark of the Spirit coming. Watch how it works out with Peter himself in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, we're told they're all together in one place. Peter among them, and in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're told they began to speak with other tongues to begin with. But by verse 14, Peter stood up, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. And what did he speak about? once he had explained what they'd experienced Joel's prophecy coming true he comes to verse 22 and says men of israel listen to this jesus and the rest of the speech is about jesus jesus who died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven or you turn to chapter 4 of acts a little while later Peter and John have just been arrested because they healed the crippled beggar in the courtyard of the temple. And the next day in chapter 4 verse 5, the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law, they meet in Jerusalem. And the high priests are also there. And very quickly you realize that this is the very same group that had Jesus on trial just before Easter. And can you imagine the terror in John and Peter's hearts? They knew how it had ended with Jesus. Jesus was executed on the cross. And you come to verse 8 and you read. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing very well what had happened to Jesus, he stood up, filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, he spoke about Jesus as the only savior. And by the time he ends his little speech in verse 12, he is saying to these leaders, these people who, passed, who, who killed Jesus, he's saying to them, salvation is found in no other. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved." It's only Jesus. Just as God had said his witnesses would speak. Right back in Isaiah 43. Then the chapter goes on. And Peter and John, they are released. They rush back to their friends. There is prayer gathering. And they are busy praying, crying out to God. And in chapter 4 verse 31, you read that. And we're told after they prayed, the place where where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Spirit. And they spoke. They spoke the word of God boldly. And so three times in three chapters, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And every time he's filled with the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He speaks of Jesus. That's the reason why we get concerned in Africa. Because in Africa, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they do all the crazy things except speak about Jesus. Spirit boldness always leads to speaking about Jesus. But just in case you think these were suddenly Superman because of the Holy Spirit, look back to what they actually prayed for at the end of Verse 21, 29 in chapter 4. Here's how they prayed. Now, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Well, do you pray for something that you already have? Well, I pray for boldness when I know I don't have any. I'm shaking, right? I'm, I'm cowardly and I cry out for boldness. And these apostles were feeling helpless, weak, and they needed to be bold. Now, when we talk about boldness, feeling bold or not feeling bold is not the sign that you have or you do not have the Holy Spirit. Bold means getting the words out, having the freedom to speak, to speak, speak about Jesus. And then we we'll go back to chapter 1, verse 8. You notice there is no time from given for the restoration of the kingdom, but there is a task frame. And this is it. And you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, ends of the earth. And remember, the, the promise is that the apostles will be the witnesses of Jesus. But then the promise doesn't stop there. It doesn't end with them. At the end of Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost, as people are cut to the heart, they had the message and the message was powerful. And they ask, brothers, what shall we do? His reply is this, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive the must-have spirit. The missionary spirit and he is certainly at work in this new Christian community, as we read in Acts, because we're told the Lord added to their number daily those who were being served. He's certainly not restricted to the apostle's witness. The Holy Spirit is for. Every believer and every believer is sent out from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. We're told when that happened on that day, that great day, when it happened, when all these believers started speaking, preaching Jesus, great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And we're told... All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And those who were scattered, what did they do? They preached the word. They preached Jesus. Jesus' plans for what happened after he returned to heaven never stopped with the 12 apostles. As Christian believers, we are are to know that the Holy Spirit is the missionary spirit and the Holy Spirit gives us power. The the must-have spirit is also a radical spirit. And that's the reason why a passion for mission and a hunger for the Spirit of God go hand in hand. And it's also true that lack of concern for the evangelistic task often means we probably know very little of this missionary spirit. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the one taking the initiative and not the apostles. It's not them. If it were left to them, the gospel would never have gone out. The Holy Spirit takes the initiative. After the ascension, there was no sign that the apostles were dreaming of reaching Samaritans and the eunuchs and the Gentiles with the gospel. There was no sign that they were thinking any bigger than just their small little town. And if you know the story of Acts, you have to ask, how did Philip, for example, come to leave a highly successful evangelistic campaign which was right at its peak and end up catching a ride in the desert with the Ethiopian eunuch? How did that happen? Well, the spirit had to get him there. Why so that he could witness to the Ethiopian eunuch? Or Peter, witnessing to Cornelius. It was not his evangelistic zeal that got him there. In fact, he was grumpy. He wanted to have nothing to do with them. He's having a midday snooze, and the spirit needs to give him a vision to overturn a lifetime tradition of prejudice. Well, Call Peter a tribalist. Call him a racist. Call him all these things. Because he thought these other people don't deserve to hear the gospel. Well, the Holy Spirit disturbed him. And spoke to him. Whose idea was it for Peter and Barnabas to leave Antioch? The church they had founded and they had built it. And they wanted to stay. Well, the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit who said, set apart. Notice, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas. It's his initiative. That's why he tends to be a radical spirit. It's not our plans he starts with. He starts with his plans. The agenda of mission. There's no mission without him. No world evangelization without the Holy Spirit. There is no world missions if it were not for the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no goers, no missionaries, no converts. Why? Because nobody moves from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light without the Holy Spirit. And this is both humbling and empowering. It humbles us because we know we did not save ourselves. And we could never save anyone else. We know we could never give ourselves assurance of salvation. The Holy Spirit does. And this empowers us because no matter how weak we feel before the powers of darkness or before principalities and authorities and the powers that be, we know the Holy Spirit is sovereign. And he will cause anyone he pleases to see and to say that Jesus is Lord. Well, scripture says regeneration is the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, not just that. Assurance of salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason why there is no mission without him. And without a hunger for the Spirit to make us bold. Well, there is no mission, and the Holy Spirit has been doing it for 2,000 years, and He will finish the mission. He will awaken and gather all of Christ's ship. He is the must-have spirit, and here is the, the part that we should celebrate. The Holy Spirit is the must-have spirit he is the missionary spirit. He is the one who regenerates, assures us. And scripture tells us he lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. He gives us assurance of salvation. He sanctifies us. He fills us with joy and boldness in witness to Christ. He gives us everything we need in suffering and in death. And finally, guess what? he will raise us from the dead the holy spirit will And so may god help us as we go out to serve we need the holy spirit we need his boldness we need his assurance so that we can contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints perhaps soon The church in America, like I shared the other day, uh, is becoming smaller and smaller. Uh, It it happened once in the 90s. This small country of Jordan, when Muslims started coming in and living with Christians, and before everybody could see what was happening, there were more Muslim converts to Christianity than Jordanian-born Christians. And the prince wrote in one of his books, Christians in this country are less than 1%. And yet, they are like the glue that holds our nation together. It's not about numbers. It's about being bold to preach the gospel. To speak Jesus. And call people to repentance. May God help us. Let me pray for us. Spirit of the living God, we pray, fall afresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, feel us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, that we may be witnesses to the kingdom of God. That without fear, we may speak. Jesus, help us, Lord. Amen.